Moby Dick Energy. Big Moby Dick Energy. I want that Moby Dick. I want that energy. I want that Moby Dick Energy. Big Moby Dick Energy. I want that empty. That Moby Dick Energy. I want that Moby Dick Energy. Big Moby Dick Energy. And welcome to Moby Dick Energy, the podcast where I, your host, Talia Laven, goes through Herman Melville's 1851 queer whaling masterpiece chapter by chapter with an array of exciting guests. And uh, we're back from our hiatus. We're working our way through this book. We have 81 chapters to go. But after this episode, there will be less than that. I am good at math and literature. So um, this week I have a wonderful guest, a very good friend, uh, my friend Bird Pinkerton, who is a reporter producer for Vox's podcasts and is working on a new science show called Unexplainable. And um, (laughs) we have Bird on for three fascinating chapters, chapters 55, 56, and 57 of the monstrous pictures of whales, of the less erroneous pictures of whales, and the true pictures of whaling scenes, and of whales in paint, in teeth, in wood, in sheet iron, in stone, and mountains and stars, in which Melville is cranky about how people draw whales. And Bird is an artist who makes these wonderful collages, and I figured she would be an excellent candidate to talk about these very visual chapters that are not particularly excellent for an audio medium, but we're going to work it out. We're going to work it out together. Hello, Bird. Hi. Hello. So it's actually, I was kind of, I was like, why? <laughs> why me? This section of Moby Dick. But I mean, that makes, I do, I do enjoy collage. And it is actually, it's funny because I actually love, I kind of love these chapters that are in the same way that our podcast episode is going to be like us talking about a bunch of visual things that people can't see like this chapter is the exact same effect like if you think that it's vaguely confusing to listen to people just be like oh it looks like this and and then this thing is happening like the same exact thing is happening in the pages of Moby Dick um like it's 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 kind of a difficult read in some ways which I found very interesting and I can get into why if you are curious. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, we're here to, to jaw over these chapters. Every chapter yeah. is a gam, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're also funny. I Like, first of all, we had some almost dangerously active chapters leading up to this where stuff happened. And so I'm really glad we hit pause on that. And now we can talk for three chapters about portraits of whales so I'm very relieved things are getting a little too hectic um and so I also love that he like begins the chapter with it's not even like at this point I'm going to give you a good description of a whale he's like the first sentence is essentially him saying like at some point keep reading stay tuned at some point I will tell you about a real whale but here here is like what a whale is not <laughs> just like and then talks about it for three chapters like it's literally three chapters of how to like describe a whale badly which is it's on the one hand it's kind of funny to me but it's also like i guess in some ways this these three chapters feel 
extremely Moby Dick energy to me because they are the like most, they give you this really clear sense of how totally unknowable a whale really is like like his sense of how totally unknowable a whale really is it's almost in in saying here are all the ways people don't know whales it's almost more effective than trying to further describe how he himself doesn't know whales if that yeah makes i mean it's like a whale is a mystery wrapped in an enigma is kind of the <laughs> ultimate point um I mean, we're also just like coming from this very bizarre chapter that's like a really long yarn about a mutiny on board a whaling ship that Ishmael is telling to Peruvians. Now it's like without absolutely no transition, we just go into three chapters about the true form of the whale and Ishmael just dissing art history. Um, I genuinely don't like... I, I find it amusing. I don't really know why it happens. Like, I, I'm curious why you think he just goes off into, beyond the fact that, like, that is the whole book, is him just going off into, like, random eddies. But why do you think this is the moment that he was like, haha, we must have an eddy here for three chapters about nothing? Well, I mean, I think if I'm being generous, right, and I'm thinking about how this fits into the broader narrative, like, where we are in the book is they're adrift at sea, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that in some ways we're adrift in the narrative too. We're like, we're in between events. And earlier in the pandemic and during a period <laughs> of feeling particularly low, I transcribed some, the, the Nantucket Historical Association has scanned a lot of historical journals of whalers and their wives and a lot of them kind of read like there are these lulls between stuff happening. So we had this game. Wait, what is the coolest, like, what's the coolest thing that you've read in a lull? Or just like, is there anyone who, who's going full, like, uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, like, crazy in, in their journals? Well, I didn't do as much transcribing as I would like to. And maybe I'll, if people stop asking me about fascism so much, maybe I'll return to it. Um, but... I remember I was doing one woman's diary and first of all, she had some lovely drawings of whales, um, which I couldn't uh, assess with Melville's degree of crotchety precision. But uh, she also just, she was very sad every Sunday because she missed her Quaker church very much. And so she would write about every Sunday. She would write about God and how her she society was sad. of friends. I also miss my society of friends. I will tell you what. Well, I am a Jew, so. Um, and today is my favorite Jewish holiday, incidentally, Tubishvat, a holiday celebrating Happy trees. Trees, yeah. So that's a real tangent from a tangent. So let's. Well, we're 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 imitating the form of Moby Dick, but I I think also before I prepared like a little surprise for you, I would say, but I would say like in this in this first throat clearing section there's like one more thing i found i at least found really interesting um so i prepared this little surprise for you <laughs> um but actually before we get to that i i was also interested in as i was reading these chapters and i was reading this idea of like oh the whale it's so unknowable i got very existential thinking about it or something i don't really know philosophies but about how it's not just that the whale was 
unknowable to Melville. It's also almost impossible for us to know how people in Melville's time were thinking about whales because um, so there's this book that I love. It's written by this guy named D. Graham Burnett. It's called The Sounding of the Whale Science and Cetaceans in the 20th Century that I may or may not have reread sections of. That is, have you, do you know this book at all? I know what a cetacean is. Okay, well, I will cite, I will have citations from this cetacean to come because, so what I found really amazing about it is it's essentially a whole book about how like our perception of the whale totally changed over the course of the 20th century. So we went from thinking of whales as basically like sacks of meat to be hunted um, and like turned into soap and margarine um, and like other things uh, to sort of in the 60s, this movement starts where people start like playing whale song all over the radio and it gets like incorporated into pop songs and everyone starts talking about the whale as this like big climate symbol and our whole perception of whales moves from these kind of like dark unknowable objects or like fearful objects or just like meat tool objects to oh my gosh these might be these sentient creatures these might be these wise creatures, they're singing to each other all the time, like, whales, we love them, they're the best. So there's also something really interesting about sort of being able to, like, peer back into, like, Melville trying to describe all the ways that people are getting whales wrong, but his perception of, like, how it is to to get a whale right, potentially, is so different from how we might think of getting whales right. I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot as I was reading these chapters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going from hunt the whale to save the whales. Another thing that came to my mind while we're clearing our throats was <laughs> Walter Benjamin's Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. Um, <laughs> the aura of the whale. <laughs> I did get I did get a degree in complet, and I have to bring that up contractually, like once a year. <laughs> And I was just thinking about how photography has sort of made these chapters feel so archaic. But for the vast majority of human history, that just like, I mean, you couldn't know. Like when he talks about like, most images of whales are based on beached whales and no Leviathan has posed for a portrait. And it's like, well, now they don't have to pose and we have all these magnificent images of of whales mid swoop. And one of our previous guests, David Nywert, specializes in whale photography and has some <laughs> magnificent portraits. So that was something I was but thinking about. It, it reminds me, when I think about it, I think about, you know how we don't have any photos or we, we don't have any living examples of, of krakens? We weren't even sure that these like kraken creatures existed and then they found it wasn't like a kraken it was like a like a giant squid. They found like a body of a giant squid. And so everything we know, I might be saying this wrong, but like everything we know about this giant squid is essentially based on its dead body. And that was the whales. Like whales were the kraken of yore. I don't know. Yeah, also dinosaurs. Like did they have feathers? Question mark. <laughs> what did they look like? I mean, Absent a Jurassic Park type scenario, we'll never really know if we were right. 
So let's, do you want to go through kind of the actual text of these images, um, sort of one by one of, uh, that he lays out for like what a dinosaur slash a kraken slash a whale did not look like? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's break down these chapters. So as you might guess, of the monstrous pictures of whales is Melville being cranky about bad depictions of whales. Um, and he's very caustic and sort of goofy about them. I like these, some of these lines where, um, he like calls out specific artists and he kind of is like, well, ancient sort of Hindu and Chinese sculptures were very inaccurate, but also our Europeans were no better than these non-whites, uh, which is very Melvillian, uh, cause he, homie's kind of a racist, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I hadn't I, noticed. Yeah. <laughs> 55 chapters in and somehow I I missed that. Yeah, I like this line where he says, "I do not wish to seem inelegant, but this unsightly whale looks much like an amputated sow." So, I think it might be helpful to actually open cuz cuz if we want to work through these chapters, I think it might actually be helpful to just like work through them with the images themselves. So, I actually pulled together some of the images into like a a giggle doc for us to take a little gander at. If Amazing. You yeah um i could not find all of them but i found some of them yeah and um so we're gonna post this slideshow in the show notes so you guys can also follow along as we you know continue yeah so i love this i'm like i read the chapters you're like i read a whole other book and made a slideshow um i may or may not be a podcast producer Um. (laughs) no i love it my like type d minus personality and uh, brushing an a type a personality is always um i feel very grateful personality talia thank you thank you i (laughs) write that down in iron and sheet iron and wood and stars man um i'll engrave it into the tusk of a uh, narwhale yeah um also i call this moby dick pics for talia just for you Hey, this is the most so, welcome sending of a dick pic. Actually, I don't mind being sent <laughs> dick pics. Really, um, I do. Yeah. For the record, um, no, thank you. But yeah, so I think the the first one that I was able to find is actually like the first one that he mentions. Which, in my research, also they were like, it's unclear why he thought this was a picture of a whale because it's not. <laughs> But he says it is. Uh, So this is the one where he says, Now by all odds, the most ancient extant portrait purporting to be the whales is found in the famous cavern pagoda of Elephanta in India. Yeah, this looks like a blue merman god with big butt cheeks to me. It does kind of look like it's like a whale-ish creature sort of swallowing the like bottom half of, or the top half of this man, but also like... It is difficult for me to be like, yeah, Melville, it, they didn't do a good job of painting a whale due to it's not a whale. Like, <laughs> I don't really know how to how to help you. But then he kind of, he moves on, I guess, to Perseus and Andromeda. Um, and he, he calls out two different people for their sea monsters slash whales, which again, unclear to me if Guido, Guido, I don't know how to I'm going to say Guido, just because I live under Andrew Cuomo and I... I have to <laughs> say that as often as I can. Sorry to all Italian listeners. Um, so Guido and Hogarth apparently attempted whales not to Melville's liking here. 
Um, do you want to describe what you're what what we're looking at? Yeah, so we're looking at these paintings, and uh, one is a painting, one is an etching. They both feature. I think they. I guess they're both variants on the Perseus and Andromeda myth, where Perseus rescues Andromeda from being like chained to a rock in the sea to her doom. And both of these sea creature possible whales look decidedly dog or frog-like. They look like dog frogs in the water. Yeah, especially the one in the in the painting. It it has like a a very dog-like tongue, which you could argue given that aren't like whales descended from wolves technically or like descended from the same ancestors as wolves? Maybe. This is just a very Darwinian image of a whale. But also, again, I feel like in one of these, there's like a pegasus in the background. Like, perhaps we are in the realm of mythical creatures and not whales. Um, Yeah, I mean, Melville's kind of playing fast and loose and just being like, anything I don't like that's big in the sea in a painting is a whale. That's bad. Or small in the sea in a painting, because the next one is him being like, as for the bookbinder's whale, like winding like a vine stalk. Which might also be just like a snake and or slash a dolphin. Because there's a picture here of the world's tiny... It's an eel with like a pointy nose. Like a like a pointy-nosed eel that, yes, it is a purely fabulous creature. Was anyone in fact claiming it was a whale, Melville? Unclear to me. I guess to a whaler, everything looks like a whale. You know, I think... I was thinking about also the way like the Leviathan in the Bible is always interpreted as a whale. Like what Jonah is swallowed by in like the Hebrew Bible is is the Leviathan, the Leviathan. And and it's been interpreted as a whale. It's not necessarily it like could be a fabulous sea creature, but you know, I guess whales are the biggest animals we know of in the sea. But um there are these kind of myths in the Talmud about how after like the Messiah comes the Leviathan will be captured and the most righteous will feast on its flesh and live in a tent made out of its skin. So that's just something I try to slip in at any given point. But we're talking about mythical depictions of possible whales. Um, I mean, no, I, I hear you, but it's just, it's funny to me because it makes sense in terms of the whale being this placeholder for, like, all things unknown. But then, again, it just feels like saying, well, this pegasus doesn't look like a, like, I would imagine a pegasus would look, which is to say, like, a zebra. I don't know. It just, it, it's like a weird, it makes the chapter feel even weirder in terms of it's just, like... You didn't do this mythical beast correctly because the mythical beast is actually real and actually looks different. But anyway, so he moves on to uh, also this. Old... This plate is from 1533. Like I think eels were really common in the Thames at this time. They were like famous poor people food. So it very much could be an eel, but or it could be a pretty cute whale. It looks like um looks like Doctor Seuss almost. Seussian or like like a character from the Fairly Odd Parents a little bit. Like it's got yeah. that goofy cartoon hair and a big sharp nose. It's over. I wasn't an- allowed to watch TV as a kid, so I'll take your word for it. It's twined over an anchor. This is just I can't tell you how well this translates into an audio medium. It's it's perfect. But again, it is, it's a lot like the experience of actually reading the chapter, <laughs> Yeah, which is just him describing things that you can't see. But in some ways I did, I found it helpful and I'll, I'll talk about why in a second to see them physically. So another one of the things that he's like, this doesn't look anything like a whale and is dumb is, uh, this is old Harris 
collection of voyages. There are some plates. So I think this is it, according to a couple of things that I was looking at. This seems like it's it, uh, which is the whale fishery slash killing the bears. So it's like a bunch of people killing bears. And then underneath it, there's like an actual... It really looks like this is someone trying to illustrate a whale for the first time, which is helpful. The whales, um, like great rafts of logs, are pres- represented lying among the ice aisles, with white bears running over their living backs. In another plate, the prodigious blunder is made of representing the whale with perpendicular flukes. <laughs> what a bastard! Are these um, bears even white? I- yeah, so I the bears aren't white, but like it oh was God, difficult to find in the corner. Other yeah, there's a little bear cub who, who seems to be just playing while all the other bears get murdered, which is and they're being shot at. Then there's like whale killing in the background, but the whales are just kind of these like formless lumps. And then you you see these these illustrations of whales below, where you have two whales that actually look vaguely like whales, a whale louse, and then a sea unicorn, which is a, a narwhal, a narwhale, however you like to call them, and then some like various tools for for killing them. So this is the first thing that really does look like someone was intending to draw a whale, and I guess. This is the first time that I like Melville finds fault with an actual representation of a whale because its flukes are incorrect. Yeah. Um, well, I mean that's valid. They don't have shark-like flukes. These whales are very they're the whale louse. There's a special louse on whales? That's wild. Well, it looks like an Illuminati pyramid. The whale fishery and the killing of the bears, there's a special louse for the whale. He also um, calls a harpoon a herpoon, which feels very <laughs> feminist and ahead of its time. Um, these whales look like blob. The first whale looks like a blob with a tail. He also kind of looks like he's got his mouth open in kind of a slobby, just devil may care. I, I don't know. He, look, he's, he looks a little sassy. Oh, they both look kind of like they're grinning at you, but they they didn't do their homework and they want you to make them, you know? But then, and the next illustration is kind of like the same, the same deal. He says, uh, look at the popular work Goldsmith's Animated Nature. In the bridged London edition of 1807, there are plates of an alleged whale and narwhale. And I do not wish to seem inelegant, but this unsightly whale looks much like an amputated sow. And as for the narwhale, one glimpse at it is enough to amaze one that in this 19th century, such a hippogriff could be palmed for genuine on any intelligent public of schoolboys. Very sassy. Truly sassy, especially given how much the narwhal does in fact exist. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think he's saying the drawing is hippogriffy, not the... Uh, the drawing is hippogriffy. Also, like, he's not wrong about the whale looking vaguely like a like an amputated pig. There's like a... There's a weird handle on it, which I'm assuming is its... Fin? Is it a fin? It literally looks like a door handle just attached to the bottom of like a... Weird pig fish like a banana it looks like a a door handle on a banana like a gray banana and they were like here you go it's a whale yeah and then the narwhal looks like a dragon with like a goat head and a tusk glued on top also the thing at the bottom is supposedly a dolphin it was just looks like a it looks like a tuna or something like he's not wrong that these are perhaps not the best representations of whales. I will give him. I will give him that, especially for the dolphin has like 
feathers. What the fuck? Goldsmith did a bad job. No, you know what the dolphin reminds me of? Okay, you know the fish? This is a this is a cartoon I have seen. Uh, you know the fish in SpongeBob who are always like the the down on their luck kind of fish that come into the yeah. <laughs> That's what this dolphin looks like. I feel um, like the whale looks a little more like a rat than a sow. And what's with its tail? The tail also looks like a door handle. And why does the narwhal have scales? Everything about this is mysterious to me. Goldsmith must have been on ye olde 19th century cracky or perhaps so how opium. Is this animated. Like the the nature here is is emphatically not animated except that it looks vaguely like SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. Lots of critiques to be made. We are we're definitely entering Melville territory in our disdain. For these various illustrations. Also, you can tell that I clearly just took a screenshot and dropped this in because there's like weird arrows. No, I like it. One. I love that you did this for me. It, it's uh, homemade. It will be long remembered. So uh, then we'll read. Uh, but the placing of the cap sheaf to all this blundering business was reserved for the scientific Frederick Cuvier, brother to the famous Baron. In 1836, he published a natural history of whales in which he gives what he calls a picture of the sperm whale. And. <laughs> It's really goofy. Yeah, I don't know that I would call it the cap sheaf of all of this. Probably because I don't know what a cap sheaf is, but I'm assuming it's like a like a cap stone or like the worst offender. And this is, I would say, the thing that looks most like a whale. It just is sort of grinning and looks a little silly. Well, I, maybe he's more offended by it because it claims to be, like, more scientific, mm. you know? Like, Goldsmith's animated nature might have been... And Cuvier has come up before in the book, in the Cytology chapter, uh, in which he's referred to as the great Cuvier, and Baron Cuvier is also given a shout-out. So, in total, Cuvier is actually mentioned 11 times in the book. So, clearly, he is, like, this great whaling predecessor so hence Melville's indignity. I guess he's he's knows a lot about whales, but like, boy, he sure can't draw them. In a word, Frederick Cuvier's sperm whale is not a sperm whale, but a squash. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think it looks that much like a squash. It does have a certain gourd like bit the the bones it, are better drawn, I think, than the actual a, Yeah, the bones look look very bony. I don't actually know what a whale skull looks like in detail, so I'll buy it. But the there's something weird. He's got like a corkscrewed tail that concerns me for this poor whale's well-being. Whale-being, if you will. Eh, I just looked there up a sper- sperm whale skull. This seems reasonable to me. Uh, but, but it would make sense for what we were talking about before of like all these are drawn from death, which I think is what he takes umbrage with, really. Is there, like, um, a drain spout in it? Like, what the fuck is that thing on its belly? Oh, yeah. Um, I was trying to not look at the thing on its belly. Is that its it, dick? Or, like, it, but it looks like it's been tapped, like, for maple syrup. Also... I really couldn't tell you. Also, oh, yeah. its, its snout has this weird, like, yonic opening on it. Like, not the jaw, but the front of it has this weird... Mm. I'm gonna say vag-like... Like, okay, I see it now and I can't unsee it, so I'll give it to you. Yeah. I don't I hate that. I don't know what kind of squash Melville was eating. <laughs> also, it has this cute little fin that's so tiny, it's like a T Rex appendage. It looks Why'd like a little it seashell. It's perpendicular, though, as a fluke. Oh, uh, I don't know. I also don't know and think we should. 
we should move on. So he got, he gets into some more racism. He talks about the lively lads with the pencil that those Chinese are. I couldn't find any queer cups and saucers to inform us, but I tried. I did the bare minimum. I just Googled like cups and saucers, Chinese whales, question mark, and then moved on. Um, he, uh, did you know about Jeremy Bentham? So he talks about Jeremy Bentham's skeleton right after this. Did you know about this? This Always was a yarn. assume ignorance when it comes to that. Me. I that I fell down. So so he says. Well, will um, you read the passage for us, and then we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me find what he says. So after he talks about these cups and saucers, he says, "But it may be fancied that from the naked skeleton of the stranded whale, accurate hints may be derived touching his true form. Not at all, for it is one of the most curious things about this leviathan that his skeleton gives very little idea of his general shape." Though Jeremy Bentham's skeleton, which hangs for candelabra in the library of one of his executors, conveys correctly the idea of a burly-browed utilitarian old gentleman with all Jeremy's other leading personal characteristics, yet nothing of this kind could be inferred from any Leviathan's articulated bones. So this is what is so weird to me. So he's basically saying, like, you look at bones to understand the whale. No, you can't. It's not like jeremy bentham you can look at his bones and you can totally get a sense of what he looked like so then i look up jeremy bentham so i was also like what the heck is going on with this guy whose whose bones are so apparently he was like a 19th century philosopher and he when he died in 1832 he had this will and he was like i am a utilitarian i would like to do the most ethical good for the most people and so I want to donate my body to science, but then I want the researchers to dissect my remains and then mummify my head and preserve my body, dress it in my own clothes, pat it out with hay, and then display it so people can, like, look at me forever, I guess. He calls himself, like, an auto-icon. There's a quote I love from a science curator who's like, it's very hard to describe it to people because there aren't any other auto-icons. <laughs> Bentham thought it would catch on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it looks like it looks like a Madame Tussaud wax sculpture, yeah. But so this is but what's like so... a, one of those knockoff Madame Tussaud jobbies where it's straight in the uncanny valley. Yeah, it's it, it's very spooky, scary. But what I don't understand about this passage now that I know that this this guy's skeleton is fully covered up by like pretend image of him like a 3d sculpture of him what's confusing to me is that melville is basically like you can't learn from whale bones the same way you can learn from jeremy's bones but like yeah because jeremy's bones are covered in wax well he's saying that like you can learn what jeremy bentham looked like from this fleshed out auto icon you can't learn the same from the skeleton because it's not fleshed out oh because it's not fleshed out yeah, yeah that actually makes perfect sense okay word but that it just seemed like a weird example it's to a pick. very weird example i'm not disputing that it's a fucking bizarre <laughs> thing to bring up uh i'm just saying the metaphor kind of makes sense if you like i mean i maybe the news of bentham's bizarre burial was more widespread and a commoner touch point in the 19 mid 19th century but uh yeah this whole thing i got like very uh i loved this this other passage that I also have quoted in this document where he goes, in 1822, 10 years before his actual passing, Jeremy Bentham commissioned for a silhouette, commissioned a silhouette for use in 26 memorial rings to bereaved friends and family. The rings were fairly standard for the Victorian era, but Bentham's decision to donate his body was more of a social taboo, said UCL curator. 
<laughs> like, I don't know. The whole thing is just goofy. Um, well, there were like, I, would... I think there have been, I think there were these things called death lockets back in the day where you would like carry around the hair of a deceased loved one. I don't know. Different times. Also, women in the Middle Ages would give their lovers an apple that they'd put in their armpit so that their lover could like carry their <laughs> scent with them. So, you know, different times. Are apples good at holding scents? You know, I think everyone listening to this should try sticking an apple in their unwashed armpit. and That's homework. And then you send them to Talia. So, uh, and, yeah, and mail and... them to me, please. <laughs> uh, it's not a kink. I'm just, it's just for, it's just curious. <laughs> yeah, so. So then we move on to the next chapter, which is him saying, like, here are some, some better attempts. Well, I just representing the whale. Yeah, I just want to before we move on. Although we cool. should move cool, on cool, quickly. Cool. Um, uh, I just want to talk about this: the sign painters' whales seen in the streets hanging over the shops of oil dealers, which because mm. you know people were selling whale oil for your candles and your lamps and um, your margarine. They, they are generally Richard the Third whales with dromedary humps and very savage. Breakfasting on three or four sailor tarts, that is, whaleboats full of mariners, their deformities floundering in seas of blood and blue paint. So Richard III here is a reference to, in Shakespeare's play, Richard III is presented as a poisonous bunchback toad. It was sort of famously thought that Richard III was uh, a hunchback, although it turns out he merely had scoliosis um, when his skeleton was unearthed. I think it was in a did you read that story about how it was, like, in a parking lot? It was in a parking lot! <laughs> yeah, so when they finally actually analyzed his skeleton, it turns out he just had a scoliosis and was totally slandered by Shakespeare. But at any rate, so what he's saying, the, the sign pitcher's whales are basically humpbacked, and I do like the idea that to a savage whale, a whale boat, full of sailors is a snap, like a tart. <laughs> yeah, deformities floundering and seas of blood and blue paint. So yeah, I just wanted to shout that out before we moved on. But I actually think that that's interesting that you that you mentioned that because so one of the things that was really helpful for me to look at the things that he's like, a whale, no way. Versus the things that he's like, oh, this is this is a good representation of a whale was it felt like all the stuff that he singles out that we're going to look through that's like a good representation of a whale is like whales in action doing devious deeds. So it's funny to me that I guess because they're like hunchbacked and whatever, that's the reason that he decides that these whales are like suboptimal images of the species. But it is it is funny that he kind of puts them as like a transition point into the, the next chapter's worth of whales that he's deemed to be somewhat more satisfactory. Yeah, I just uh, looked up rare French whale oil trade shop sign on a site called firstdibs.com. Unfortunately, it's been sold. And I will... Oh, drop it in. I will, yeah, I'll chat it to you. <laughs> or yeah, I'll drop it in to the Google Doc. Look at that! That's funny. It's got a red mouth. I can't see it yet. Oh, there it is. It's got like, it looks like a oh. hala on its back. Pretty it cool, though. It does have... It does have an interesting back pattern, yeah, like a like a braid or something. Yeah, I kind of want. It's not eating. It's not eating a sailor's tart though, so I'm disappointed. Yeah, I mean that's just one example, but the only one available on on firstdibs.com. So, um, I really now I really want a whale oil shop sign. So if you have any, it's just so yeah. Send your send your armpit apples and also slash whale shop signs. 
to Please me. Thank you. Care of care Moby of. Dick energy. <laughs> Um, all, all right. right, yeah, so let's move on to chapter the last- Chapter 2, or chapter 56. <laughs> chapter 56, chapter 2 of 3 for this episode, of the less erroneous pictures of whales, which is like, and the true pictures of whaling scenes. So he's like, these are the ones that are okay, and these are the ones that are- minus B plus pictures of whales. Um, I, I will say that so we have- that that um what will you say this is where melville's floridity kind of serves him in good stead like there's a whole category of writing called ekphrasis which is when you take a piece of visual art and use it as inspiration and this isn't quite ekphrasis because he's just describing stuff Mm -hmm. but like you know it's like that great gates poem about a bruegel painting there are various examples of this but melville's general floridity and like tendency to kind of describe everything in the most vivid of detail does stand him in fairly good stead as you're reading these chapters because you can get a sense of what these things might look like but you uh, can kind of get a sense but there's i don't know i keep coming back to this idea It, it is really funny to me that like he almost assumes that you've seen all this stuff, even though actually to see it, especially back then, would have been like, it's not like you could just go to the library and be like, excuse me, could I please have, uh, you know, these these seven obscure whaling texts? I'd like to see these images, please. Um, so there's a degree to which, I don't know, I actually found it quite difficult until I was looking at the images themselves to see exactly what it was that he was describing. But again, there's something effective about that in this idea of like, just like you can't see the whale, you can't even see my these pictures of the whale. <laughs> right. There was no <laughs> 1851 like Google you could punch things into. What was that? What was that auction site that you used? Firstdibs.com. Yeah. Also, no 18th century or 19th century firstdibs.com. No, yeah. I um. think that was you just telling your servant <laughs> to go to Sotheby's. Yeah. Um, it's a weird, definitely a series of weird choices. Also, this is like nominally, although possibly these are some of the least believably, like chapters supposedly from the mouth, uh, mouth of Ishmael, <laughs> like who's. A merchant sailor who, like, claims that the sea is his Harvard and his Yale and yet is, like, intimately familiar with, like, ancient Hindu art, the various naturalistic works of the 19th century. I mean, it's weird. And this is where Melville feels a little like that guy in the par- at a party who's, like, gonna talk to you for an hour about his preoccupation no matter what you have to say comes over and says all Beale's drawings of this whale are good excepting the middle figure in picture of three whales in various attitudes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we have we're talking about the four published outlines of the sperm whale colnett's huggins frederick cuvier's and beals and we've dissed colnett and cuvier in the previous chapter fuck them fuck them uh huggins is better but beals is the best so let's look yeah, at Beale's doing okay. His frontispiece of boats attacking sperm whales, though no doubt calculated to excite the civil skepticism of some parlor men, is admirably correct and lifelike in its general effect. Oh, this is a baller picture. I'm going to save it so I can, uh, because it is in the public domain, use it on a t-shirt that I will sell for money. It is great. I will say, however, if we're talking about like realism, so it is, it's a bunch of whales like springing forth and like boats being tossed in very choppy seas and everything looks very chaotic. But there's also 
a whale that is almost perpendicular to the water, like, nose first, diving. And I'm not, like, if, if we're not going to allow for some dromedary humps and, and general misshapenness in our whales, I'm not sure that, that I would describe this as, like, a, a totally accurate representation of whale physics. I don't know. But whales do whales do dive pretty perpendicularly. Like they do dive curve curvaceously in parabola. But are like their entire bodies like this is I would say maybe ten percent of its nose or ten percent of its body is in the water and the whole rest of it is Yeah, they're also know. very blocky. I'm not an expert. <laughs> they're very blocky. But they don't look like squashes or pigs. They don't have feathers or scales, so points on that regard. And they're and they are this is what I was saying before. Like I think part of what he's saying or part of what I was taking away from his like this is what makes a whale look accurate and this is what makes it look inaccurate is less like did you represent the whale and more is the situation did you represent the whale like in a situation where you get the terror of encountering a whale. Like, you get just, like, the shock and awe of a whale. Like, how small the human is in comparison to the whale. Like, all the other things that we've looked at are these sort of static, like, scientific illustrations or attempted scientific illustrations of whales. And this is the first time that we've really seen, like, whales gone wild fucking people up, you know? Yeah. I mean, we do have that whale fishery and killing of the bears action scene but that they're they're also very static there they're like yeah there's like a lump (laughs) so here we see the terror and majesty of the whale at full tilt with its jaw open and the kind of comparative tininess of the boats and and maybe it's this exhilarating sense of danger that melville's praising here well Um, i think it is because in the next two paintings the ones by garnery garneray garneray sure these two large french engravings the attacks on the sperm and the right whales it's it's kind of the same vein it's like action shots the whales themselves, you can barely see. They're kind of like hidden under these masses of like humans trying to overwhelm them. And there's harpoons everywhere, like spewing blood. The waves, again, are very choppy. This really seems to be like his, the appeal is in the drama more so than the like scientific accuracy of the whale. Yeah. We also have, just to talk about what, what's been left out so far, we have the brown drawing of sperm whales and whalers, which are wretchedly engraved, but that's not his fault. And I'm looking at them and, and they do have some of that action to them. There's a brown drawing of the triworks as well, the sort of cutting up of a whale, which it's just like a whale with its head cut off. I don't. And then Scoresby's pictures are too small. <laughs> uh, uh, but one picture of whaling scenes, and this is a sad deficiency, because it is by such pictures only, when at all well done, that you can derive anything like a truthful idea of the living whale, as seen by his living hunters. So it's like, that's what Melville's really pursuing here, is the living whale as seen by his living hunters. Like, Right, not- he says, he literally says, serious fault might be found, this is a different whale, but he says, serious fault might be found with the anatomical details of this whale, but let that pass, since for the life of me, I could not draw so good a one. And what he's talking about is the garnery, again, He's he basically spends all this time describing like the incensed boiling spout of the whale, the act of leaping as if from a precipice, the action of the whole thing is wonderfully good and true. Like that seems to be what he means when saying, 
I couldn't draw so good a whale. The gory bloodiness of it all. I guess if you've been in mortal terror at the hands of a cetacean, like you want to see them depicted as fearsome in a sense. You know, the full majesty of might just risen beneath the boat from the profundities of the ocean, but bearing high upon his back the terrific wreck of the stoven planks. A terrifying situation to be in. And the harpoons have been spilled off, the swimming crew are scattered about the whale and contrasting expressions of affright, while in the black stormy distance the ship is bearing down upon the scene. Yeah, I mean, this whale has a tiny eye and like goofy kind of cartoonish teeth and is like spouting. I'm not sure it would be spouting at that moment. And the spout looks like a cartoon cyclone. But I think what Melville is drawn to here is it feels scary. And he his experience of a whale is like in these sort of mortal encounters. Which is a funny way of saying you can never get... When we think about him saying sort of like the capstone, the worst offender is this whale that was presented with with sort of its bones and presented like, look, we've scienced the whale. It is science now. Maybe it wasn't about the fact that it looked like a twisted torpedo squash, whatever. Maybe it really was the neuteredness of that image or the idea that we that it was making a claim to understanding the whale that he then contrasts with these equally sort of blocky, silly looking creatures that are they're in such chaotic circumstances that it doesn't matter that we don't know them or understand them. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, he is speaking, he's speaking from the viewpoint of a whale hunter who sees whales, you know, in the the context of sort of both profit and mortal terror at, at once. And so what he's really talking about here in terms of accurate depictions of whales is not necessarily accuracy in terms of anatomy, but accuracy in terms of like the feeling of what it's like. The, the whale from the viewpoint of its hunters. So I'm going to read the full description of the next piece just because it's sort of beautifully done. And the, the beauty. Oh, and, and I should say, here Melville is uh, praising the French, despite the fact that the French don't really whale that much, but they're better at portraying whaling than the Americans or English. In the second engraving, the boat is in the act of drawing alongside the barnacled flank of a large running right whale that rolls his black weedy bulk in the sea like some mossy rock slide from the Patagonian cliffs. His jets are erect, full and black like soot, so that from so abounding a smoke in the chimney, you would think that there must be a brave supper cooking in the great bowels below. Sea fowls are pecking at the small crabs, shellfish, and other sea candies and macaroni, which the right whale sometimes carries on his pestilent back. And all the while, the thick-lipped leviathan is rushing through the deep, leaving tons of tumultuous white curds in his wake, and causing the slight boat to rock in the swells like a skiff caught nigh the paddle wheels of an ocean steamer. Thus the foreground is all raging commotion, but behind, in admirable artistic contrast, is the glassy level of a sea becalmed, the drooping unstarched sails of the powerless ship, and the inert mass of a dead whale, a conquered fortress, with the flag of captures lazily hanging from the whale pole inserted into his stout hole. Which I feel like Melville is really into this drawing that I don't see as particularly impressive. Is that bad? Yeah, I mean, maybe it makes more of an impression if it's bigger. <laughs> or if you've been, the, you, 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 you gotta, had to be there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does a pretty good job summing it up visually. I like the idea of sea macaroni. And it is true, there is this, like, 
in the foreground, everything is super active and the whale is still alive. And in the background, everything is very calm and the whale is dead. So there is this sense of like the water imitates the whale around it. When it's living, it's chaos. When it's dead, it's this tame, boring thing, which is maybe why you can't draw it from. You can't draw it from the dead. So stop trying. Yeah. Every other There artist. is a flagpole sticking out of the dead whale in the background. I did not notice that before. The whale here looks kind of like a black log, but I guess that's sort of what a whale looks like if you don't see the in rest the water. of it. Yeah, like it is anatomically accurate in that you can't really see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he goes on. We have some more praise of the French. He brings up Leeuwenhoek his name I definitely said wrong. He's like he's the guy who uh, invented the microscope or was using the microscope to detect what we now think were sort of germs, but we didn't have the paradigm to really understand germs when he was trying to show them to people. But he talks about like the microscopic diligence of a Leeuwenhoek submits to the inspection of a shivering world, 96 facsimiles of magnified Arctic snow crystals. I don't know. He's, he's showing his science credentials a little bit. Although his previous foray into cytology includes like insisting against all evidence that a whale is a fish. <laughs> I think Captains Dunning and Kruger have somewhat shored up Ishmael's conception of himself as a scientist. And then yeah. the final thing in this slideshow, I guess, that I made you was was the one he says, like, in addition to these French engravings from Garnery, there are two other French engravings worthy of note by someone who describes himself as H. Durand. So I only found one, but he ends the chapter with these. Like, one of them, though not precisely adapted to our present purpose, nevertheless deserves mention on other accounts. I couldn't find this one. This is the quiet noon scene among the Isles of the Pacific where nothing is happening and everyone's kind of becalmed like us in the story. And then the other engraving is a quite different affair. The ship hove to upon the open sea and in the very heart of the... I don't actually know how to say that off the top of my head. Leviathonic, let's say. Leviathonic life. The right whale alongside the vessel in the act of cutting in hove over to the monster as if to a K and a boat hurriedly pushing off from this scene of activity is, is about giving chase to the whales in the distance. Yeah, this is a crazy picture. There's like a whale is gushing blood. Out of its blowhole, which I'm not... Is that out of its blowhole? Isn't the blowhole on top? But I, it looks Saudi. Yeah. yeah, it's spouting blood as though from a blowhole. This is definitely the most sort of whaley whale we've seen so far. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the key to what we've been speculating about, I mean, he sort of lays it out where he says about the French, they have nevertheless furnished both nations with the only finished sketches at all capable of conveying the real spirit of the whale hunt. For the most part, the English and American whale draftsmen seem entirely content with presenting the mechanical outline of things such as the vacant profile of the whale, which, so far as picturesqueness of effect is concerned, is about tantamount to sketching the profile of a pyramid. Hmm. Even Scoresby, the justly renowned right whaleman, after giving us a stiff full length of the Greenland whale and three or four delicate miniatures of narwhals and porpoises, treats us to a series of classical engravings of boat hooks, chopping knives, and grapnels, and 
with the microscopic diligence of a laven hook, submits to the inspection of a shivering world, 96 facsimiles of magnified Arctic snow crystals. So what pisses him off, really, is the vacancy and staticness of these American and English depictions. So, you know, and, and in the previous paragraph, he says, the French are the lads for painting action. Go and gaze upon all the paintings of Europe, and where will you find such a gallery of living and breathing commotion on canvas as in that triumphal hall at Versailles, where the beholder fights his way pell-mell through the consecutive great battles of France, where every sword seems a flash of the northern lights, and the successive armed kings and emperors dash by like a charge of crown centaurs. Not wholly unworthy of a place in that gallery are these sea battle pieces of garnery. So he he's like, yeah, these are sea battle pieces. This is what it's like to fight a whale. The the anatomy is less important than the sort of capturing of the moment of battle. I think we solved it. I think we solved chapter fifty six. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, from on my Shall side, we proceed to to chapter fifty seven. Yeah, and get, I just want to take a moment to appreciate the title of this chapter of whales yeah, and reading. Cage. In teeth, in wood, in sheet iron, in stone, in mountains, in stars. I feel like that is, like, the aesthetic bit of Moby Dick that I fucking love. Like, it's just, like, it's insane, it's ambitious, it's poetic, it's weird. I don't find that chapter 57 necessarily lives up to its title, but it's a great title. (laughs) I would agree. It also kind of confused me, and maybe we can solve this chapter, too, as we work through it quickly. But, like, it confused me why this followed up after chapter 56, in terms of, okay, we solved it. This is what I like and don't like about a whale. And then we continue to describe representations of whales. Well, I it's think weird to be. that the first two chapters here are about, they're both about art in more classical conceptions of art, where it's like painting, like, I'm not sure how, like, a beggar holding up their own representation of, like, their tragic scene is really so different from, like, a shop sign as far as, like, a representation of a whale goes. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, when he says, at some gable-roofed country houses, you will see brass whales hung by the tail for knockers to the roadside door. When the porter is sleepy, the anvil-headed whale would be best. But these knocking whales are seldom remarkable as faithful essays. So it's all whales on on houses, but one of them is in chapter one and one of them is in chapter three. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's sort of, but fifty seven sort of generally is about whales in folk art, but but also it's like Melville slash Ishmael. He he just like gets a thought until it stops itching at him. That's my feeling. But maybe um, I can never tell whether I'm overestimating or underestimating Melville, and he keeps me guessing. Hermie does. So speaking of this beggar, so we have, this seems to be just a random beggar that he's seen on the London docks where this is an amputee holding a painted board with three whales and three boats. And one of the boats, presumed to contain the missing leg in all its original integrity, is being crunched by the jaws of the foremost whale. Anytime these 10 years, they tell me, has that man held up that picture and exhibited that stump to an incredulous world. But the time of his justification has now come. His three whales are as good whales as were ever published in Wapping, at any rate, and his stump as unquestionable a stump as any you will find in the western clearings. But though forever mounted on that stump, never a stump speech does the poor whaleman make, but with downcast eyes stands ruefully contemplating his own amputation. 
So he literally just has like essentially like a triptych of here's what happened to me. Like instead of a sign that's like, I have some children at home, please donate. It's just like, this is what happened to me. A whale ate my leg. I mean, I'd (laughs) give someone a dollar. I would also give someone a dollar. It just is like an interesting thing to open this chapter of, of whales and paint, I guess. Yeah. Also, the previous two chapters have been about whales and paint. Come on, <laughs> Belleville, what are you talking about? Yeah, and also it's a terrible, also, pun. terrible pun there. Come on. It's also funny. speech. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm sorry. It's, it's really not funny. But I guess it's also interesting that in this chapter, it's less like... So the previous two chapters here were very much evaluating, like, is this a good whale or is it a bad whale? Like, have you done a whale well? Versus this just seems to be a list of like, here are other places that you could see whales, but I'm not necessarily going to tell you whether or not they're like worthwhile whales. They're just whales. Does that make sense? Are you implying that Melville might not be perfectly organized in his well, I, stuff? I'm actually just more interested in the fact that he kind of has this chapter that's like, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna tell you whether or not these whales are worthwhile. They're just whales. Here's some more whales. <laughs> anyway, maybe we can, maybe we can keep moving through these whales and see what we spy. Yeah, and now we finally talk about Scrimshaw at last. <laughs> I thought we were going to get through this whole book with no scrimshaw whatsoever. I think it's been glancingly referenced. But like, <laughs> I am shocked that scrimshaw doesn't come up more often. More scrimshaw. More <laughs> scrimshaw. That's my perennial refrain. In addition to your armpit apples, your whale shop signs, please send me scrimshaw. I hope that the next next edition of Moby Dick comes out and it says on the cover, a good book could have used more scrimshaw descriptions, though. (laughs) Yeah, so he likes scrimshaw. I have been to the New Bedford Whaling Museum a few times and they have some lovely examples of scrimshaw including ladies' busks wrought out of right whalebone and other like scrimshander articles. So some whalemen have little boxes of dentistical-looking implements specifically intended for the scrimshandering business, but in general, they toil with their jackknives alone. And with that almost omnipotent tool of the sailor, they will turn you out anything they please in the way of a mariner's fancy. Because they had a lot of bones around. I mean, whales are big and they have big bones and tusks, not tusks, teeth whatever but they have bones and you carve into the bones have you ever whittled a bone i have not i'm just asking i declined to comment i've never (laughs) never whittled a bone except of my enemies jk or am i and then uh melville uses the word savage a lot about how even white sailors removed from exiled from Christendom and civilization restores a man to that condition in which God placed him, i.e. what is called savagery. Your true whale hunter is as much a savage as an Iroquois. Yikes. Um, problematic. I myself am a savage, owing to owning no allegiance but to the king of cannibals. It is interesting that Melville has something of a Hobbesian perspective on humanity, or like you know, basically Tell me rem- more. like rem- remove someone from the trappings of civilization and they go back to being nasty and brutish and whatnot. It's just that he doesn't have to use non-white people as prototype. 
Well, he there's there's a lot of stuff in here. Like he he has at the end of the next paragraph. Like he starts the next paragraph with like as with the Hawaiian savage, so with the white sailor savage. But then he says, I'll have to start at the beginning of the sentence because his sentences are chaotically constructed. But he says, with the same marvelous patience, with the same single shark's tooth, he will carve you a bit of bone sculpture, not quite as workmanlike, but as close packed in its maziness of design as the Greek savage, Achilles' shield, and full of barbaric spirit and suggestiveness as the prince of that fine old Dutch savage, Albert Durer. So it's, it is interesting that he kind of puts anyone who does any kind of carving into the savage category. But yes, as you say, could do without the concept of primitive peoples just generally. Yeah, well, he he talks about the wonderful patience of industry as kind of a noble characteristic of the savage, like praising Hawaiian war clubs and spear paddles and their full multiplicity and elaboration of carving. It's as great a trophy of human perseverance as a Latin lexicon. For with but a bit of broken seashell or a shark's tooth, that miraculous intricacy of wooden network has been achieved. It has cost steady years of steady application. So there is some sense and, and some appreciation of kind of non-Western, quote-unquote, savage works. That's interesting but, here. And and he compares it. He also calls Albrecht Durer like a, a savage in the same way. It's interesting. I don't... So here's what I'm wondering. The question that I was asking at the beginning of this chapter, which is like, why this after the last two? It's interesting to me that these paragraphs, if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? If we're not saying like, and then LOL, he had a bunch of other examples lying around and he just decided to throw them into a chapter. But if we're instead, we're trying to see like, why is this the sort of successor to the chapters that came before? There's something interesting to me in the fact that he's putting after his best examples of whaling in paint, examples of whaling that were sort of hard won, or like whale images that were hard won. First, this like, it's hard one because this guy had to lose a leg. Then you have like, it's hard one because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of precision. It takes a lot of work and devotion to etch a whale into these teeth. And so it's less about like, does this look like a whale? And more like, how much time and effort did you commit to making these whales? Counter proposal. I'm open. For more than 35 seconds. So if chapter one is about these irritatingly static and anatomically incorrect images, Mm -hmm. chapter two is about images that correctly capture the vivacity and danger of the whale hunt. Chapter three of these triptych is about whales as portrayed by whalers. Because the guy who lost his leg lost his leg to a whale. He was a whaler. Scrimshaw is done by whalers. So, you know, they may not be professional artists, but these are the men who have battled the Leviathan and therefore are perhaps most, in Melville's mind, best equipped to depict it. I wouldn't even say that's a counterproposal. I would say we're agreeing, but saying things differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he's like Melville at slash Ishmael or whatever, Ishmael, let's say Ishmael, is is a whaler's whaler. He's proposing, he's sticking up for his people here and saying that only whalers can can portray whales the best. Or there's a, a certain different... Well, maybe he's just like, I'm not going to try and evaluate your whales because you've seen a whale. A whale fucked you up. You can represent it however you want. And here's a dollar. Yeah. Now, like, we're veering away and just talking about whales and different materials. So... <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> this may bring us back to the original just chaos theory. I, had a bunch of, I had a bunch of whales lying around. Can we read the paragraph that begins with the old gabled roof county houses? Yeah, I mean, so he, so then he talks about the figureheads of some whale ships that have whales as figureheads, and some of them are quite accurate. And then we get to that paragraph. Would you like to do the honors? I just, I want to read this one line that it just speaks to me of like potentially experience. So it goes, on the spires of some old fashioned churches, you will see sheet iron whales placed there for weathercocks. They are so elevated. And besides that are to all intents and purposes so labeled with hands off, you cannot examine them closely enough to decide upon their merit. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so obsessed with whales that he just tried to like climb on top of an old-fashioned church to be like excuse me i'd like to examine your, your weather vane to see whether or not your whale is up to snuff i don't know i mean that kind of sums up the sheer bonkersness of this <laughs> um which speaking of obsession with whales the rest of it is about like seeing whales everywhere you look in bony, ribby regions of the earth, where the, at the base of high broken cliffs, masses of rocks lie strewn in fantastic groupings upon the plain, you will often discover images as of the petrified forms of the leviathan partly merged in grass, which of a windy day breaks against them in a surf of green surges. And then in mountainous countries, you might see profiles of whales defined in the mountains and, you know. <laughs> I did not, I did not, I apologize in this document, I did not find mountain-shaped whale for us to examine, but I'll well, do better next time. Like, you know the way that Semple will say that rolling hills are like boobs? <laughs> so the whale-obsessed mind. Uh, anything can look like a whale. A rock is a whale. A mountain's a whale. See that? Bus? It's a whale. <laughs> everything's a whale yeah the end of the chapter the end of this chapter truly is although i don't i mean the very end of this chapter is less so but most of the rest of the chapter as you say is just like i see whales everywhere it's very like sixth sense except for i see whales i see whale people <laughs> yeah so i think i will read the second to last paragraph and then you can take us away uh and and read the very last short paragraph nor when expandingly lifted by your subject can you fail to trace out great whales in the starry heavens and boats in pursuit of them. As when long filled with thoughts of war, the eastern nations saw armies locked in battle among the clouds. Thus at the north have I chased Leviathan round and round the pole with the revolutions of the bright points that first defined him to me. And beneath the effulgent Antarctic skies I have boarded the Argo Navis and joined the chase against the starry Cetus far beyond the utmost stretch of hydras and the flying fish. With the frigate's anchors for my brittle bits. I don't know what that is. Bashies? Yeah. Is that like imitations? Oh, it's so a, a, it's a bundle of rods with a projecting axe blade carried by a lictor in ancient Rome as a symbol of a magistrate's power and used as an emblem of authority in fascist Italy. It's so. incredible that you knew that just off the top of your head. <laughs> well, I, I study fascism, so I know what a fascist is. Okay, with a frigate's anchors for my brittle bits. What's a brittle bit? Is that a fascist symbol? <laughs> no. I mean, I think, to be fair, at the time before fascism was around in 1851. I, I think a bridal bit. A, a bridal bit is like... I mean, not. I don't think it's... Oh, like a bridal bit. Like, no, because it has two Ts. Well, hmm. maybe he just spelled it wrong to find... Uh, this is less elegant than you're reading. 
A pair of posts on the deck of a ship for fastening mooring lines or cables. So... <laughs> well, With a frigate's anchors for my brittle bridle bits and fashies of harpoons for spurs. Would I could mount that whale and leap the topmost skies to see whether the fabled heavens with all their countless tents really lie encamped beyond my mortal sight. Encamped beyond my mortal sight. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very like Melville has worked himself or Belleville <laughs> slash Ishmael, Melshmael has worked himself into such a frenzy over the depictions of whales that in the end he, he depicts himself <clears throat> grabbing a harpoon and uh, sailing a frigate into the sky and <laughs> attacking star whales. So, so I think we revert to the chaos theory of, of Melville here. Well, wow, I feel... I don't know I feel... we solved chapter 58, but I had, or 57, but I had a good time. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, I think when you have a chapter entitled Of Whales and Paint and Teeth and Wood and Sheet Iron and Stone and Mountains and Stars, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> well, so I think this has been an art historical slash sito historical slash psycho historical marathon. And I think we should leave it at that. But I have to ask you before I go um, the question I ask to all our guests, which is what would you bring on a whaling journey for three years around the Cape of Horn? Oh, like, Probably very good snacks, I think. Any um, in particular? Yeah, like, I think something that would last for a long time. So, like, oats and honey bars, maybe. You know, those granola bars, so that I could just break them out at any point in time. That's, like, what I've brought along on this pandemic, for sure, to keep me going, so... Yeah, I mean... After the pandemic, it's good enough for a whaling ship, I think. Yeah. I feel like Pocky would get too waterlogged. Yeah, and stale. Yeah, I don't know how salty, good salty Pocky would be. Well, Bird, what an absolute unbridled pleasure. And everyone should check out, (laughs) what what is Unexplained? Unexplainable. I'm doing it with Noam, who I think has also been on this show. Uh, Check it out. It's not actually out yet. But it will be soon. And yeah, this was an, I would say, an unbrittle bitted pleasure. But um, please don't grab your fashies. Uh, <laughs> I have enough to deal with. Don't send Talia any fashies. Yeah, don't send me fashies. Do send me. So, to our lovely listeners, <laughs> send me your armpit apples, send me your whale shop signs, send me your scrim shander. I want scrimshaw. Yeah, and um, may you uh, be able to climb any church you like and examine their whales. May you uh, never be shrouded by the incensed boiling spout of the whale. And um, may you never have a whale pole inserted into your spout hole unless that's what you're into. So much love and check out our merch page at mobydickenergy.threadless.com. And please, please sign up for the Patreon because this is currently a loss leader for me, although it is a passion project. Uh, Patreon.com slash Talia Laven. Always appreciate your support. And um, until next week, this has been Moby Dick Energy. Energy. Big Moby Dick Energy. I want that Moby Dick. I want that energy. I want that Moby Dick Energy. Big Moby Dick Energy. I want that Big energy, I want that Moby Dick energy, big Moby Dick energy.